Hello and welcome to the Eddie Podcast. This is where we share stories from dads who have faced challenges of raising a child with a disability, or have lost a child, or have a child with significant mental illness. Conversations are raw and real, and sometimes not easy, but our aim is to inspire and connect, to provide some hope, because in the challenges that life throws your way, I think it's helpful to hear from other dads who are going through it or have been through a similar challenge. In today's podcast, we'll meet Nick Pritchard. And you can't help but be floored by Nick's calm and accepting nature. By the time his son Joe, now nearly 18, came along, Nick and his wife already had two children. So when they realised that Joe wasn't developing and progressing in the same way, they knew something wasn't right. And at that stage, I'd have hit the panic button. But you'll hear how Nick and his wife sought out professionals and also built a local network of friends and peers who'd helped navigate them through some of the issues that they were facing with a profoundly autistic son. Nick's clearly a smart cookie and vastly experienced in the world of business where he worked across some major sporting and global events and I'm sure he's applied some of that thinking and approach to how he's brought Joe up and involved him in all aspects of their lives. We'll hear how the next phase for them is finding provision for residential care for Joe as he enters adulthood and how Nick's approach is becoming more and more pragmatic in finding that solution. I hope you find some of the insights that Nick provides to the life of the disabled child as helpful and how to keep moving forward as we dive into this podcast. Nick, welcome to the Eddie Podcast. Thank you very much. Before we start talking about Joe, tell me a little bit about your your working background, what you do, um, and also a little bit about your family, if you don't mind. Working life, um, I'm self-employed. I've been self-employed for about 10 years now, following a career in advertising, design, marketing, working with some really wonderful brands and some amazing organisations. I worked with FIFA for nigh on 10 years for two football, they call cycles. So I did the South Africa World Cup and the Brazil World Cup, which was great. And after Brazil, I set up my um, own company to uh, be an advisor, be a consultant. And for a long time, I worked with Cirque du Soleil, which was great fun um, around the world. Uh, that ended in COVID. And now I'm just advising. I'm a non-exec on a number of companies. And I help a lot of companies um, in lots of different areas of business development, marketing, anything they need to do, really, any general advice. Family background, uh, married for 25 years, three children, a daughter of 23, 24, son of 22, and Joe, who is coming up to be 18 in October. And 18 is quite a milestone, isn't it, for a, a person it like all, Joe? It all changes. I mean, the admin side changes. We go from from the, especially for the local authority, you go from the children's side to adult care. And that starts a myriad of um, forms and ways of working and all the other stuff we have to do, yes, which is interesting. Talk to me about Joe's diagnosis and how you came about to, to understand that Joe, the life he was going to start to have would be very different to your other two children. It was a very gradual uh, diagnosis as such. Um, Joe was a perfectly normal birth in down in Salisbury, a caesarean. The other two kids were caesareans as well. And then a week and a half in Devizes Hospital. They had a hospital then, doesn't have one now. All very normal. My, although my wife, right from the off, noticed his head was a bit bigger 
than the other kids when they were the same age. And the most amazing thing, the, the earliest diagnosis was probably with our Labrador, who would follow Joe wherever we put Joe when he was a baby. He would, uh, she would follow him. She would sit near him. And my wife says, oh, this is all apocryphal, but we've just discovered a load of old films that we took. And you can see the dog's name was Toast. You see Toast just, you move the baby, Toast goes nearby. You move the baby again, Toast is nearby. And she used to just follow him wherever he was at home. So the early diagnosis probably came from the lab. I don't know what it was, but she never left. She used to just follow him. And as he got older and older, he would all, she would always be very close to him. Medically, we kept going to see doctors and they said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then about, it was about 12 months, 18 months, no signs of crawling or walking or talking. Um, not many noises then. And then we started to have tests. We started to go to various hospitals in the southwest, to Bath and to Bristol. And they started running tests, started doing genetic tests. And then they, you know, about 18 months, they said they thought he had um, developmental delay because he was not progressing on all the charts you have with a baby. And then they said, as he didn't start to react to any stimulation um, noises and things, they thought he had some sort of autistic tendencies. Um, but we were pretty well prepared for that because I think we guessed as much. And then we started just to... Um, see all the various different support networks that are out there and um, go to various local authority events or um, to find out more and more about autism. And it's like, uh, you know, you buy a yellow car, you see nothing but yellow cars, you have autistic child and suddenly people you thought never knew anything about it would say, oh, I know. And you, we um, found a lot and a lot of um, information and we also teamed up with two other families in the area who had autistic kids, uh, different uh, stages and different types of autism. And we've known them ever since Joe was born. And we, we still see them probably two or three times a year just to talk about the kids, which has been great. So Joe was diagnosed with autism at what age? Probably about 18 months to two years. It wasn't uh, an early diagnosis at all. It did take a, a while. And it was, yeah, we didn't force it either. And we were just, you know, he was a little baby, so it was fine. But we knew things weren't because of the other two. He wasn't doing the same as the others. So that's when he was diagnosed. And also he had some other issues at the time. I think he had some heart issues. They were worried about his heart. So he used to go to a hospital to have that checked up on, but that didn't develop anywhere. So that was fine. And how old are you at this time? Oh, so when Joe was born, I must have been, yeah, my 40s. Okay. 41, 42. Peak career time for you, probably no doubt. <laughs> you were probably doing a few other things. Yes, it was. I was running around with FIFA then, so I was travelling a lot. I was away at least two weeks in every four abroad, um, uh, all over the world. So yes, it was a bit of a juggle. But we had moved out to the country where we had a lot of support, we're very lucky, and we had, um, where we lived, there was, you know, we had a big garden, we could do things like that. So the kids were pretty self-sufficient, our eldest two. And 
my wife wasn't working then, so she could look after Joe the whole time. Did you find you escaped a little bit whilst you were out of the country for a couple of weeks? Or was that a conversation between you and your wife that we shouldn't talk about? Uh, how, 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 how were you feeling when all that was going on? Because similarly, I, I was busy working at that time as well when, when in Thomas's early years. And, you know, you try and make every appointment. But for you, how, how was that? I did used to organise my life around all the appointments we did. But yes, I did. I must have missed. I, I can't remember now, but I must have missed a few as well. And it was a juggle. It, it was a juggle. Um, luckily, as I say, my wife wasn't working at the time. Uh, and uh, I did miss certain things of all three kids, not just Joe. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as you said, it was the peak time. We were earning quite good money. It, we needed it for everything, as you all do. And But then it also meant, you know, when I wasn't travelling, I was at home a lot more. So I would uh, make sure... I was around for certain things. We always made sure we had a holiday. We always sure made sure we had um, time together. And weekends were quite—I uh, wouldn't say they were, you know, sacred—but we used to make sure that I was around for weekends and things. So yes, it was, but it was a juggle. You know, would have been the case whatever had happened. Yes, Joe added an extra um, element to that. But when he was young. Or as baby, it was very easy to, um, or easier because my wife was at home all the time. Yeah, because I, I guess you know, with a you, you said quite, you seem to be really resourceful. So, you know, you've you you searched out information about it, uh, about autism and the condition that that was, there, and you plumbed into network straight away. Where does that sort of resilience and I don't know where it comes from. I mean, you just you just do that, don't you? And you, you, we knew nothing about autism. We knew nothing about disability, whatever you want to call it. And we just wanted to find out and talk about it and see what was going on. And also, uh, nowadays, with us all, with all the internet and everything, it is easy to get information. You can get it anonymously. You can get it open. Plus, the support services, I suppose, or the local area, they do offer. They don't force you to take it. But, you know, we wanted to find out more. And so we did make use of these. Uh, probably more on my wife's instigation than mine, because as a classic bloke, I would have just sat there and gone, oh, we'll work it out, don't worry. Or, But we did, I wouldn't say we took it up, uh, you know, and as a, evangelically, but we did want to know more. We did want to know about it because we didn't know where we would go with Joe. And um, just as, you know, you might look at schools for uh, any kid, we just wanted to know more about what the options were for Joe and we, you know, the diagnosis was ongoing all the time. So we didn't know exactly where it was going to go. Because as soon as you say you've got an autistic child, people go, oh, Rain Man, mm. you know, he's brilliant at maths, or he'll find something he'll be brilliant at. He'll talk to you. And we go, well, actually, he doesn't talk. You know, he's nonverbal. And people go, oh, and autism is such a broad spectrum. And so, you know, you, that's, you, you learn about autism. It's not just Rain Man. It's not just someone you know, or, or Stephen Wiltshire, who, you know, that's the other one that always gets brought up, you know, brilliant at drawing. So it was it was just, we just spent our whole time, just not a whole time, but, you know, a, a time to find out what his particular needs, what it was. But it, it has changed over time. And now we're in a space where he's very, we're very comfortable because we understand his needs and we understand what he's about much more. And also the people around him understand him as well. 
But there must have been challenges early on, say before the ages of 12. What kind of key challenges did you sort of find? With- oh, yes. No, but yes, there were huge challenges, you know. And then you meet inspirational people that help you. For example, I mean, trying to get Joe potty trained. I mean, he would, you know, we, we thought he'd wear nappies to his throughout his life. And we met a teacher at his first school who said, no, no, we're going to sort this out. We will sort this out. And this teacher, Gary, he was amazing. And within 18 months, Joe is pretty well continent now although we still have mistakes every now and then but you meet people like this who you know you sit there going oh it'll never change it's going to be like this. and they go no we're not we're going to work this out so yes there were challenges there's challenges of course with the not having the constant dialogue with him but you have different types of dialogue with him you know one of the great things I do now is I yesterday I went for a three-hour walk with him and people will sit at see us and they'll say, oh, you're not talking to each other, but we have a great time. COVID was ter- not terrible for Joe because he, but he wasn't at school and he wasn't at college, which he absolutely loved. But every day, we're very lucky we live out near Salisbury Plain. We went for a long walk and we did that. We did some massive walks. We discovered whole new areas. Um, we have a dog too, another dog, and... We used to go on long trundles and you're communicating, but probably not chatting away, not um, as uh, as normal. And that's hugely satisfying. We have a great time. It's really good. I think it's really important for dads to hear that, you know, on it, uh, who will be listening to this. They may have just had, you know, a, a new diagnosis or are in that place where you're trying, trying, trying to deal with a behavioural challenge or a medical challenge or just not able to get to the school you need to get them to. And you find that there's that sort of, you have to push, 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 and then something happens. And and that's, you know, encouraging that, you know, you, you, you know, obviously that communication you have, you know, isn't communication has been written down by the law, but it's a, it's a, it's an understanding that you have together. And I think that's hugely encouraging. Every time I see Joe, he said, give me five. And he, he puts his hand out for five or give me 10. Because I remember for years uh, when he was little, uh, people saying to me, they won't, re- the, the, the autistic kids will not react to you. And when you can get that type of reaction, it means they are listening to you. So for a long time, Joe didn't do it. And then now, um, so when we're walking, I might halfway as we're trundling along, I go, give me five and you'll give me five. And it means he is, you know, you are interacting with him. And I remember because people said, oh, you know, they'll never interact with you. And for example, if you do a high five, they'll never do it. And it's so we do that. And he is, you know, he is listening. He's a he's a crafty thing. He does listen. He might be nonverbal, but he understands everything. He he takes in everything. And now, you know, one of his, you know, like a lot of autistic kids, he likes his life ordered. You know, he needs to know what's going on. And when we're on these walks, he will constantly he pulls a finger, which means what's happening next. Makaton, I think, is slightly um, uh, his way of doing it, his edited way of doing his Makaton. And you have to constantly say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And um, But that is all part of it. You know, the whole communication is he needs to know. And if you tell him what's going on, he calms down, he's fine. It's nice that he, just, he reaches out to you as well. He is listening, so don't ever think, because, you know, he sometimes... When he does get worked up, he might have heard my wife and I talking, oh, we're going to go off tomorrow to so-and-so and so-and-so. So he knows that's going on. And he asks you, what's going next? What's happening next? What's happening next? 
And if you don't say that to him, he might get a little bit worked up because he's going, hang about, you've just been talking about us, we're going off here. But if we tell him, we try and tell him things every day, you know, we're going to go and do this. Like this morning, I said, I'm, um, yesterday I came up and stayed in London. So yesterday I saw him and I said, I'm not here tonight. I'll be back tomorrow. He's fine with that. You know, he's taken it in. He, he can assess that then. He's not got a problem. So you just have to don't take for granted, I think, a lot of the stuff. You're seeing the whole area of trying to find care, trying to find uh, things for him. Don't take it for granted. You have to push that a little bit more. You have to um, investigate a little bit more. You have to take a little bit more care. And it's the same with Joe. You just take a little bit more time, that's all. I love the way you're very calm about how you're talking talking with me now. Is it was it always like this? No, probably not. You know, when you first first hear about the, you know, when the diagnosis is made, you're, you you go, ooh, where are we going to go? But there's no point getting worked up and going crazy because it is what it is. And there's Joe was a wonderfully placid, lovely baby. Lovely, he's been lovely. We're very lucky. He's very placid. Very easygoing. Yes, he does have his moments. He does lose it every now and then, but you can work through those. So the good times are very, very good. And, you know, yesterday he has a sunflower from college. We went and planted it. And for some reason, he didn't want to plant it. So he got all worked up about it. You just work through that. And then he was fine about it afterwards. Points at it now and he knows it's his sunflower. So, yes, there's no point getting too worked up you just have to be calm because if if we get worked up he'll get more worked up and it's a negative cycle so try and keep it nice and calm when you're with him and it's it's good no it's fine that's that's really good advice and i think tremendous what's the teenage years been like because they're very different to the formative years aren't they yes for any person uh, yes we're starting to get this uh so hormones are starting to fly around his temper uh, he is a bit more not grumpy is the wrong word but yes that you can see that teenager in coming and he hasn't got he isn't quite as patient as he as he used to be he doesn't understand certain things that are going on i think with him, himself but he's he's we're lucky he is this placid you know placid's the wrong word but he is easy going as long as you explain things he he does calm down um and i think college have taken a while to suss him out like anywhere anywhere new and they now suss him out um and they've got they've um, got one-on-one care with him a lot of the time now and um he benefits from that and he and they enjoy his company he's good company he's good fun yeah it sounds especially if you can go for a three-hour walk with him yes we did one we did a my wife works for an alzheimer's group in devices we did a 10 mile walk the other day to raise funds for them and he chugged along towards the end he was flagging a bit but then you say the magic words there's cake at the end and off he goes <laughs> disappears off storms off suddenly finds uh, another gear magic cake food and that's the other thing with autistic kids and disabled kids they love their food and that's why you often see a lot of them are slightly overweight and you know that's why we do the walking because joe will eat for britain just eat and eat and eat so we Try and make sure we um, do lots of exercise. So you've got two other children, yep. um, Sam and... Millie. Millie. How have they sort of dealt with having a, a younger brother? So, you know, being, being the youngest, you're going to be, <laughs> if it's anything like my family, uh, have the most attention anyway. But of course, with um, Joe's condition, he'll command and demand a bit more, I'm sure. Mills is very tolerant and very good with him. 
Um, but she's starting out on her own life now. She's living in Brighton. She's moved away. Uh, and when she comes home, uh, she's very good with him. And Sam is, uh, he's a classic boy, you know, won't say he loves him or anything, but actually secretly, I think he does adore his brother. He looks after his brother sometimes when we're off and about. Um, but he does, I think, uh, he's not quite as patient as others, but he's in the mid twenties, early 20s, so uh, he's not patient with anything if it doesn't go his way. Um, and again, he's moving away now. He's living in Manchester the last two years, comes home in the holidays. Um, I think occasionally he gets frustrated with Joe. He's not as patient as us with Joe, I don't think, but um, he's pretty good with him. He's, you know, we'd, I'll happily leave Joe with Sam. Mm. And it's really funny because Joe adores Sam. You know, he, Joe, Sam will push him out of the way or he'll do something. And Joe just thinks it's the greatest. He'll follow Sam all over the place. And in fact, we have to say, Sam, you know, don't treat your brother like that because he'll then mimic it when he's not with you. And I think Sam secretly quite likes that. And were you conscious of them growing up to spend more time or did you do things differently or just... No, we used to always take Joe with us on family events, family holidays. We'd have to arrange sometimes special care with Joe so we could spend time with Millie and Sam. But no, though they've always, uh, you know, he's part of the family. You know, we don't... Um, ever leave him behind um we're trying to get everyone together end of august for a family holiday this year and going with joe again and they um they'll be uh you know they're not got a problem with that at all and it's funny before covid we went to portugal on holiday and we had some friends from the states who we've known for years and years and their kids are the same age as millie and sam and actually all the kids were very good with joe because they've known him since birth and everything like that and the parents are very very good with him as well and you include him, he's fine. He's really, really good. You know, there's no... Yes, you sometimes have to be patient but a little, and take a bit more time. But, you know, he loves being with people. He loves crowds. He loves noise. So when the family, have we have a big event, he's very happy in his own little world. But again, there's the spectrum of autism as well, isn't it? Because there'll be some people with autism that... Really Hate crowds. Like he's funny because... We'll go to, so we've taken him to, you know, cricket matches. We've taken him to rugby. We've taken him to football. And he might put his hands in his ears when the noise is on, but he actually loves all the buzz. He loves all that's going on. We, we took him to Alistair Cook's last test match at the Oval. We spent all day sitting in the sun in the Oval and he loved it. The buzz, the noise, people coming, going. And, you know, towards the end of the day, Everyone around was, oh, Joe, you know, and we, you know, and he was and they were offering him sandwiches and stuff. And yeah, okay, he didn't understand what the cricket was about. He didn't understand uh, a lot of it, but he just loved the buzz. Yeah, mid afternoon, he, he got a bit, a little bit of wobble, but that was because he was a bit bored. So we went for a wander, came back, and he was fine again. Um, and so, you know, we try and include him in, in everything we do. Um, maybe Glastonbury were a bit too far because I think that would be a bit too noisy and a bit out of the way. But as long as you explain what's going on, he's pretty easy going. And it's really encouraging that you've always included him and that's you're reaping the rewards of that now with, you know, the peer group that you have, because I think it can be isolating when you've got a child, you know, in that situation. So I think, again, no, a really should, good strategy. No, you should include kids in, I mean, no, no, it, it, he's part of the family. Mm. The old Victorian days of locking away everybody. You know, you hear of these horrible stories of, you know, people being locked away or put away. And Joe's part of our family. You know, he comes with us. In the village we live in, everyone knows Joe. 
He was. Funnily enough, we tried to uh, do some inclusion in the local school and they didn't really want him there. And we were a bit upset about that at the time. They said he held back the other kids in the primary school. And it's sad because a lot of his peers in the village don't know him. But those who, you know, are families we know are very good. And it's very interesting, actually. We used to have babysitters. And, um, you know, when Joe, before Joe goes to bed, you have to put him on the loo and everything like that. And uh, families in the village who who did that were, oh, it's only Joe. We don't care about wiping his bottom. We don't care about putting him to bed. And you suddenly think, oh, okay, they've known him all their life. You know, he's, he is just a, you know, they accept him. So it was great. You know, we've been very lucky that way. And what does the future hold for Joe? What are your sort of plans? And- <sighs> well, that's, that is, you say I'm calm. That is the thing that does give me sleepless nights. Um, he's coming to an age now, you know, there'll be a time where, you know, I'm 60 now. I, ca- I can't see him moving out for a while. He's at home living with us and it's fine. We're in a nice routine, nice rhythm. But there has to come a time where he has to uh, be in some sort of assisted living. He does need someone around him. As the college found out, you need someone with him to um, help him. He can't feed himself. He can clothe himself. But, you know, if he got up in the morning and didn't know which drawer the jumpers, he'd wander around quite happily as he is. He, he just needs to be guided and have some people around him. So we've got to find some sort of assisted living in an area that, in a place where things are happening. You don't want him sitting in front of a TV all day. You know, he he likes his walks. He likes to go out and about. He loves being driven. He loves, so his college at the moment is about 40 minutes away. The bus to and from college is one of the, you know, highlights of his day. He loves the bus. He loves driving with us. So um, wherever we go, we might drive. He's very happy and he's very good in the car. So you want him to be in a place where they do things, where he's still stimulated. Hopefully he can be at this college for the next three years minimum, maybe a bit longer. And then after that, we will find some sort of residential um, place for him to live in. And then, and that could be anywhere. And we will probably possibly move house to be within half an hour of wherever he is. You know, we don't, care where it is um and then he can come home weekends and whatever have you but it'd be unfair on him to live with as we get older and unfair on us really probably having to to do a lot of the stuff we do at the moment so what would you say to someone who's got a new diagnosis or was just starting their journey of having a child with autism where it's you know in a situation where you know it's quite severe not having communication and obviously you but in the very early years, you know, Joe's movement wasn't great. And obviously now he can he can walk. So you, you, there's, there's, there's a huge encouragement and positivity there, you know, from where he was when he was 18 months to going on a, on a three-hour walk when he's 17. So what do you think you would say if you had the chance to just see, you know, someone that's got their head in their hands going, oh. it, Well, I'd, I'd say that, you know, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. The other thing is it changes all the time. So, you know, we were constantly asked when Joe was literally, oh, when will he speak? Now, he hasn't spoken. But at the time, he was incontinent, wasn't walking. He didn't walk until he was about five. You know, we thought we'd have this um, person sitting around, incontinent. You know, then we meet inspirational people who go, no, we'll sort that out. Then he starts to walk. Then he starts to... um, uh, do other things you know he never ha- he was non-verbal but we found you know another teacher at one of his schools finds this device 
He's not. He's pretty lazy with Makaton as well, the sign language. But we find this iPad, which has um, he can press buttons because he understands, and so he can say what he wants, and he can just show us bits and pieces on that. So suddenly communication comes on. So if he's getting frustrated, we give him. We call it speaky. He presses it. He wants a bit of cake, or he wants to go to the swimming pool, or he wants to, you know he wants to go for a car journey. But he can explain that to us. Now, when it all started, all that was a million miles away. So it do, it gets better all the time and things change all the time. You know, he might speak to us one day. There's no reason why he shouldn't speak. I doubt it very much now, but you never know. Things will change and, and every day is different. You know, he, he is, as he grows, everything is different. You know, he develops and he understands certain things and he helps with certain things and different to Million Sam but on his path. And it's great. I, I would say if you had newly diagnosed, don't look at the negatives. There's huge positives out there. And it's, yes, it's probably not the journey you thought you were going to have, but it's a really rewarding time. I love being with Joe. I love um, spending time with him. If my wife's out and about for a weekend, we have a great time. Now, it's not the weekend I might do with Sam, but it's a different weekend. And it's 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 very satisfying. We have good fun. And, um, you know, in the good weather, the bad weather, whatever it is, we just have a good time. And he's, he's, a, he's hugely rewarding, but in a different way. I think you have to find your space with that. But it's, I don't see much negatives now. And I didn't, when he was diagnosed, um, you know, you just got to think of the positives and try and push, push, push all the time. But it's not a, it's not a negative thing at all. And there's lots of people out there to talk to and support from local authorities. Yes, they're pushed under pressure. But if you, you know, if you're genuine with your requests, they're normally very, very good. And also ask your network. They're amazing how many people have, you know, everybody has you know, the old Robin Williams quote of don't judge other people. Everyone has their issues. You know, don't judge everyone. Everyone knows of someone with an autistic kid or a disabled kid in the family or know of someone. And just talk to people. People are very good. And it's that's what we did with these families that we grew up with. And it's been great. You know, it's, it's, it's a different... It's not the path I probably would have written, but then nothing I've ever done is the path I probably would have written for myself. Nick, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to meet you and hear your story and Joe's. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I think Nick's acceptance and the ability to embrace this situation has really helped them with bringing up Joe. And you can realise that you can have a good weekend or great quality time with your child, regardless of their disability. Again, we're hearing how important it is to find a local network and support with people who have been through similar situations. So seek them out. Again, go along to the Eddie website, where you see some support organisations there that may be able to help. And as we grow, Eddie, please send us your suggestions and things that have helped you navigate through some of those early years. And please remember to subscribe to hear the next story. And don't forget to leave us a review or rating as it helps other people find the podcast more easily so we can share these stories with even more people. And if you'd like to share your story, please visit us at www.eddy.network and click on share where you'll be able to send us your story, pics, and even if you'd prefer to keep anonymous, you can let us know there too. The more stories we can share, the more dads we can help. Thank you for joining us and remember, keep moving forward.